So we started this new series called, uh, called Lifehouse, and it, it's built around this, this story that, that Jesus tells. He tells the story about a, a, a demon, an evil spirit, an unclean spirit that's been cast out into the wilderness, cast out into the desert. But after the spirit wanders around in the desert for a little while, he, he, he decides to return to the home, return to the place that, that he came from. And when he gets back to the house, he finds it cleaned and dusted and everything is in order, but the house is empty. And so he goes and invites seven more unclean spirits, even even, even worse than himself, and they all come and inhabit the house. They all come. They return to the person. And the message in that is that after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our sins have been forgiven. The, the demons inside of us, the evil inside of us has been cast out. But if we don't put good back in, we just leave ourselves open, right? And so this series is about filling our houses, filling our lives with the teachings of Jesus. We must, these things must inhabit us, right? They must become our daily habit. And so we become disciples of Jesus. We become students of Jesus, constantly studying, constantly learning. But it's not, just a, it's not enough to just fill our lives with the teachings of Jesus. We are also given in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, in that part of the Great Commission, Jesus flips the script. Remember, I think I have that verse for you. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Right? Have you heard this? Does this sound familiar? And baptize these disciples in the name of the triune God. And then what's he say? Teach. And he changes the whole relationship. Up to this point, the disciples, were they, were they were the students and Jesus was the teacher. But Jesus said, now I've poured into you, I've filled your houses, I've filled your life with my teachings. And so now your responsibility is to do the same. The students have become the teachers. And so today, and, and throughout this series, there's two, point, there's two parts of every teaching. One is, what are you filling your lives with? And then the second part is, how are you helping to fill other people's houses with that same teaching? And so today, the teaching comes from one of Jesus' parables in Matthew chapter 18. If you brought your Bibles, you can, you're more than welcome to follow along. We're going to read it straight off, the, straight off the screen together. It's the parable of the unforgiving debtor, and this may sound familiar to you, but I just want to walk through it verse by verse, and then uh, we'll, uh, we'll kind of uh, take it apart as we move through. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, the rabbis had a saying, um, if someone wrongs you or offends you or sins against you once, forgive them. And if someone wrongs you or offends you or sins against you twice, you should forgive them. And if someone wrongs you or offends you a, a third time, you should forgive them. But if someone wrongs you or offends you or sins against you a fourth time, you should not forgive them. And Peter's offer of seven times is this kind of offer of don't you see how good I am? I'll forgive seven times. And in Jewish law, too, it's kind of this number of completion, seven days of creation, this whole idea, right? So I'm going to forgive completely. Aren't you proud of me, Jesus? And what does Jesus say? Look at this next verse. Look at his response. 
He says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And Jesus essentially says, not seven times, but infinity plus one, right? You, you just keep, you, you, you keep doing it. You, you think that seven times is going to be complete or, or that's completion. No, I, I, this, is, this is not 100% of forgiveness, but you should forgive 110% all the time. And Jesus goes on, and he, he, he offers this explanation. In the very next verse, he, he begins with a therefore, and you know you're in trouble, right? Anytime you see this in Bible, and anytime in Scripture, um, if Jesus offers a therefore, you're like, oh, Lord, here it comes. Literally, oh, Lord. Um, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who has decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money for him. Go ahead, go to that next verse. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Literally, the, the, the scripture says 10,000 talents. This king is settling debts, and he's bringing in everyone who owes him, and he brings in this servant who owns 10,000 talents. Now, a talent is, isn't a measure of, of money. It's not like a dollar bill or a quarter or, or $100. A talent is a measure of weight. One talent equals 75 pounds. And in this case, we think it's talking about silver. Now, one talent is uh, 75 pounds of silver, and it's equal to about nine years' salary. Okay? You, are you getting the picture? But this servant owes the king 10,000 talents. This servant owns, owes the king, if, if you want to do the math, for years of skilled labor, 90,000 years salary. So is this going to be payable in his lifetime? No, I mean, not even Methuselah can, can cover this. Like, this is, um, if, you, if you did the math, it's 375 tons of silver is what this servant owes the king. 375 tons. So this is equivalent to Jesus saying, uh, forgive 70 times 7. This is, this is the impossible amount. Uh, the king did not loan someone 375 tons of silver, right? It's just not, I'm not going to give you 90,000 years worth of salary. Forget it. That's, you know, that's a crazy, ridiculous loan. Uh, and so what I actually think, if you dig a little bit deeper, and, and I don't know, when you do that, it can be a little bit dangerous, but uh, my impression is that this is a guy who worked for the king. My impression is maybe this is the king's accountant that uh, has uh, um, maybe embezzled money. You see how that works? Like no way the king gave him access, but he, he's gone way too far to somehow have, have this ridiculous amount. Uh, and it's, the, the point is that it's ridiculously unpayable. It's, it's impossible to pay. And, and in fact, this amount would exceed the entire tax revenue of Judea, Udima, Samaria, Galilee, and Perea combined, right? Like it's more than the, the gross national product of the entire area. It's, it is an astronomical, ridiculously unpayable, impossible amount. And look what, it's, look what happens as the story continues. And he couldn't pay. Well, yeah. So his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife 
and his children and everything he owned to pay the debt. Now, I know it's, it's hard for us to imagine this in our, 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 our time, but flesh has a price. In that culture, flesh had a price. And it's, even this is a little bit of a ridiculous idea because you would usually just sell, uh, you would usually just sell the, the debtor, uh, and then the rest of the family could work to try to pay off the debt. But this is so unpayable that, that, that this debt is going to be passed on to everybody. Does that make sense? Then, and what they're sold for isn't nearly going to, what they could be sold for, isn't nearly going to cover the debt. This is just purely, you messed up so bad. This is the worst punishment that I can think of. And so let's keep going. But the man fell down before his master. He falls down before the king and begged, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Now, can he pay this all? <laughs> no, he, he's not going to, you know, he could win the lottery a hundred times and still not pay it off. He can't pay it off. But remember that statement. Be patient with me and I will pay it all. And look, look at verse 27. Then his master was filled with, what's the word? What's it say? What's the master filled with? Pity. It could also be translated compassion. When Jesus is uh, uh, with the crowds of people and they're crowded around him and, and they're kind of way out in the middle of nowhere and, and everyone's getting five o'clock and everyone's stomach starting to growl and he is surrounded by all of these people and it says, scripture says that Jesus looks out on all of the people with pity, with the maybe translated differently, compassion. And he tells his disciples, hey, feed them, and they get totally lost. But this master feels compassion for him and does the unthinkable, does the unimaginable. He forgave his debt. But the story takes it, and this is a beautiful story, incredible story, but it's going to take a harsh turn in the next verse. Go ahead. But when the man left the king, what do you, how do you think he left? Was he kind of discouraged and kicking the ground, or was he walking on air? I mean, was he walking on clouds? Yeah, I think he's probably feeling pretty good about this time. But when he left, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. The, the language is a hundred denarii, which is about a hundred days' wages. So it's a lot. But is is a hundred days wages payable? Is this a debt that can be, can be paid? Yeah, absolutely. It's compared to 375 tons of silver, a hundred days wages is actually payable compared to 90,000 years of salary. Like it's, it's a payable debt. And he went and found this fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii and he grabbed him by the throat. This was kind of the, if you, you can imagine them wearing like tunics or, or, or robes in the Greek culture. Um, there, really, you didn't have the police arrest anyone. You would make a citizen's arrest, right? So if someone owed you or wronged you, you would go and just imagine grabbing them by the scruff of the, that, that tunic of, of that collar. And you drag, you personally, yourself, you drag them into court. And he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Because people pay their debts, Right? I love that. that dem he demanded instant payment. Like, like uh, he was the righteous one, right? Do you see how this works? Um, 
Has this ever happened to you? Like when, when things don't go your way, you have a million, you know, a dozen, well, here's a dozen reasons why this didn't work out the way I thought. But when it comes from someone else, it always sounds like excuses. Have you ever been in that place? You know, we have this kind of different view of ourselves than we have of others. He's asserting himself to be this kind of honest man who pays his debts and would never leave a debt unpaid. In the next verse, in verse 29, his fellow servant fell down before him. Does this scene sound familiar? Falls before him and begged for a little more time. And look at the words. Look at the words. Be patient with me and I will pay it. Uses, this is one of those awesome techniques in scripture. Uses the exact same words he just used, right? The exact same language. If you'll just be patient with me, I'll pay it. He pleaded. But in verse 30, it says, the creditor wouldn't wait. And he had the man arrested and put in prison. Remember, there's a price of flesh. Just the man goes into prison this time so the family could work off the debt until the debt could be fulfilled. And then let's just read the, read the rest. Th verse 31. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very, what's the word? Pissed off <laughs> is the word. I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to say that in church. I hope my mom doesn't listen to this recording. Um, no, they weren't upset, right? It, it goes beyond that. And they went to the king and told him everything that happened. So they ratted him out. And then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, what are the next three words? I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy? Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then look at the last two verses in this, verse 34 and 35. Then the, what kind of king is he now? He's not a merciful king anymore. Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he has paid off his entire debt. And Jesus says, remember, remember where all of this started. Remember Peter's question that began this whole thing. How many times should I forgive? Seven times? And Jesus says, 70 times 7. And in verse 35, he wraps up this whole teaching. And he says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now, let's leave that verse up there for a second because I want to talk about verse 34 for a minute. Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured. Um. I told a sister uh, a story about my sister last week. I want to tell another one. Uh, when we were kids, one of the things we did in our family was we used to go camping all the time. And, you know, we would sit around the campfire and we would have the grill over the campfire. It was just something we did as a family. And, and uh, I, I don't know if my parents were, were bad parents or just not paying attention. There were four of us. Um, but my sister was uh, essentially what is essentially playing in the fire. Um, I don't know. She was maybe 
six or, or something. And, and so we had been cooking on this kind of grill over the fire. You know what I'm talking about? You, you, and, and so we'd been kind of cooking at this grill, and she had the tongs and was, was just setting things on this grill. And, and she found this rock. It, it was a, I remember it, it, was, it was like a shiny black rock. And I, I don't know what, where she got it or how she found it, but she found this shiny black rock, and she picked it up with the tongs, and she set it on the grill of the fire and just left it there. And the fire and the coals are burning underneath it. And uh, she just set it there, and, she was, and we were all just kind of sitting around the campfire, not paying attention. And my, my dad was there, and he was kind of cleaning up. We just had dinner, and so he was just cleaning up everything around the fire and packing everything up. And my sister, she, she picks up this rock off the, off the grill with these tongs, like, uh, it's, it's not warm anymore. Like, this rock is, is smoking hot. And just turns to my dad, who, and my dad was just kind of distracted, you know, in that place you get, just, he was just doing a couple of things. And she says, here, dad. And my dad holds out his hand. I love this story. <laughs> and it, it, didn't, it didn't register to him. And my sister just leans over with a pair of tongs and places a scalding hot rock in the palm of my dad's bare hand. Now, my dad is a, is a minister and works at a church, and you've probably heard me use this joke before. So, you know, pastors, we don't curse. We speak in tongues. <laughs> And uh, I think that's what happened that day. <laughs> you know, and he immediately shook the rock off and got some ice and got some cold water. I mean, it wasn't, it couldn't have been in his hand, you know, a quarter of a second, you know, just long enough for the nerve endings in that place to get to this place. You know, that's how long, like, before he dropped it and, and, and did this thing. What I want you to see from, from that story and, and from Jesus' teaching is Jesus doesn't say in, in this teaching that it's a sin to not forgive. He says it's torture. We humans are, are strange, strange beings because we choose prisons of our own making some of you right now are, are, are in, in Guantanamo Bay, and, and it's a weird thing because the doors to your, your cell are open, the guards have left, but, but some of you have chosen to stay, and you've chosen, because of your lack of forgiveness, you, you've chosen to, to waterboard yourself. Because of your lack of forgiveness, you have chosen to torture yourself because of your lack of forgiveness instead of dropping that hot ugly horribly painful rock you've chosen you've chosen to hold on to it are you with me and it's not just torture to hold on to, to cling to that pain. It's not just torture to cling to that offense or that hurt that someone has done to you. This is the very definition of hell, right? 
this horrible, ridiculous, torturous pain that instead of just letting it go, you choose to hold on to. For whatever reason, you can't let go. And we are an intelligent people, and we have made advances in, in all kinds of things. There's all kinds of lessons that we have learned in, in the theories of, of computer science and mathematics and physics and economics. But there is this thing that happens in our world where we, despite all of our intelligence and, and despite the most obvious thing in the world that when something is hurting us or something is harming us or, or someone has offended us, the, the most obvious thing on the planet is for us to let go of it and drop it. But it's a lesson we haven't learned. This might be hard to hear. It doesn't matter how many planes fly into buildings. It doesn't matter how many school shootings happen. It doesn't matter how costly or bad or unfair the offense. It doesn't even matter how many lives are lost. You remember what the king says? Shouldn't you have mercy? And laid on every Christian, laid on every single one of us, it is both the incredible privilege of knowing what it's like to be forgiven and at the exact same time, the incredible, heavy, weighty, difficult duty to forgive others. We know, we all know instinctively that we should just forgive. We should let go of that rock. But what is it inside of us that clings to it? We know we should forgive, but how? And so I just want to offer a couple of insights on how to forgive, on how to let go of that stone. The first, uh, the first, the first step maybe in, in dropping that offense that someone has done to you is to remember the, the offense you have been forgiven of. When you're harboring that kind of hurt and that anger and that, that, that uh, it's not even unforgiveness, but it's just animosity towards another person. When you're ho holding on to that debt, the first step in maybe dropping it is to remember the debt that has been paid for you. When you find yourself being unwilling or unable to forgive, Maybe a pull out a sheet of paper and simply remember the times that you have been forgiven. Just take a few moments and write down every sin, every failing, every time you were wrong, every time you offended, every time you hurt. Write down that whole list and remember the forgiveness that you have received. The debt God paid for you with the blood of his own son so the first step to forgiving others, to dropping that rock, is to remember. The second step is to remember uh, what the king felt. He felt pity. He felt compassion towards others. The king had compassion on the servant. Even though he owed him a, an unpayable amount, he chose to have compassion. And so we must see 
others the way God sees them. It's, this is a great teaching for Mother's Day because we must see others the way their mom sees them, right? Moms, is there an unforgivable offense that your kids can commit? I don't think so. Because they will always be your child, and they may hurt you, they may damage you, they, they may do horrible, unspeakable things. But because you are a mom, because you are created in the image of God, there is no unforgivable offense. So we must remember our own sins, the forgiveness that we receive. We must pity, have compassion towards others, see others the way that uh, our moms, their moms see them. And then the, the, maybe the third thing is just to let it go. And I know it sounds like a Disney movie you've all heard a hundred times over. But I love what Rick actually says. He says, holding on to wrongs never turns out right. You hear that? Holding on to wrongs never turns out right. And, and so uh, there's this exercise that you can do in this process of, of trying to forgive, of remembering, of having compassion. There's this exercise of just holding your hands and, and just imagine that whatever that offense is, imagine whatever that debt is, whatever, you know, like that rock sitting in your hand, just hold, hold your hands open and then through prayer, release them. Maybe through prayer, lift that offense up to God. And I know that seems like a silly thing, and I would never just sit by myself and hold my hands open and lift them up. But you would be amazed at what God is willing to take from you if you will only ask him. And that lifting up motion, that opening our hands to God reminds us that that, that forgiveness is a miracle. And for it to be possible, it requires the supernatural. Trust me, I know what it's like to hold on. And what it's going to take to let go requires something, something more than what you've got, right? And so we, got to, we have to request the, the help, the assistance of the Holy Spirit. We need the assistance of God. I want to tell you a couple more stories, and then we're going to wrap up. Um, Another thing it may be hard for you to hear, did you know that God loves Iranians? Do you know that God loves um, people in Iran? Uh, I know our media kind of paints this picture of, you know, they, they use these very flattering terms of, of ragheads and camel jockeys and sand other things. And, and admittedly, Iran has done some things to deserve the, some of the bad press they have. They have. But is it hard to remember that God loves Iran and God loves Iranians? This past, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in a, in a conference with, uh, with church planners, and uh, one of the speakers began to speak, and uh, he's this awesome, incredible guy from India, and he's planted hundreds of churches throughout India, and those churches are planting churches, and, and now they're expanding and expanding and expanding all through small groups, and, and as they move through India, they're, they're being pushed over more and more towards the Middle East, and it's this very uncomfortable place, this, this, this weird place, but, but he told the story of Christians who are going into Iran to share the gospel, Christians who, who are sneaking across the border. Just imagine this. 
They're camped out on the other side of Iran, and they're sneaking across the border into Iran for the purpose of this. They're not Navy SEALs. They're not going to take out a terrorist camp, but they're sneaking across the border to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with Iran. And he told this incredible story about this husband and wife team who under the cover of darkness sneak across the border into Iran and uh, they would go and work in these really small, these really tiny villages and, and it's dangerous work if you could imagine. And, and they worked under the pressure of nearly constant threats and uh, even being, uh, being beaten and, and rocks thrown at them and, and all of this kind of stuff. But they just kind of kept going, kept going, kept trying to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people in Iran. And finally, everything came to a head and news got out that, that they were in this little village. And some of the, I don't know what else to call them, bad guys, showed up and captured this husband and wife team. And while they beat the husband the men raped his wife in front of him and then killed her. They left the man for dead. They left the husband for dead, thinking that he would die from the beatings, die from his wounds, but he survived and actually even made it out of the country. And after a couple of months of, of healing, physically healing and praying, he told some of his friends and extended family, he said, I'm going back. And they, they begged him not to. Said, haven't you learned your lesson? Ha hasn't, this, hasn't this, haven't you paid enough? Haven't you done enough? They're going to kill you if you go back. And the man said, how often must I forgive? Shouldn't I have mercy? And he wouldn't be stopped. And so under the cover of darkness, the man snuck back across the border, back to the same village where his wife had been brutalized and killed, and began his work again of sharing the gospel. And I want to tell you a miracle. Word came out just a couple of months ago that this guy who has been doing this incredible work in Iran baptized the men who raped and killed his wife. I would tell you that's not humanly possible. But only through the power of God are we able to release that thing that tortures us. Sometimes people ask me, why do miracles uh, or, or do miracles still happen? And I, I, don't, I don't see, you know, are, are miracles still happening? Uh, and I would say that forgiveness every time it happens is a miracle. This is how, don't you see Aspen Grove? This is how we change things. It's not by just showing up on Sunday mornings. But this is what God offers the world. And this is our Witness. Robert Louis Stevenson um, was, was having a time of worship with his family, and uh, 
they, they were just into this, this, this worship time. And, and in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, he, he rose from his knees and left the room. And his wife was really worried about him. He, he had struggled with health issues his whole life and struggled with, with these kind of things. And, and so she was just worried maybe, maybe something was going on. Maybe he was feeling ill. And when she found her husband, he simply said, I am not fit to pray the Lord's Prayer today. Remember that part when Jesus teaches us how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, where he says, forgive us our debts, forgive us our trespasses, as we have also forgiven our debtors. How many times have you said that prayer? What are the odds that in this room there is someone in a prison of their own making? What are the odds that in this space and in our midst right now is someone still holding on to that hot rock of debt, holding on to bitterness, holding on to unforgiveness? So in just a moment, we're going to move into a time of communion, and we have tables with the elements, with the, the bread, which represents the broken body of Christ, and, and the cup, which represents the blood of Christ spilled out for us so that we would be forgiven. There's three tables at the back. In just a moment, I'm going to dismiss you to those tables. But today I want you to do something maybe a little bit different. Before we position ourselves to receive the forgiveness of Christ, shouldn't we have mercy? Before we position ourselves to receive the forgiveness of Christ, let us first forgive those who have trespassed against us. And so my instructions are simple. In just a moment, I'll say a prayer for us, and then I'll dismiss you to go to the tables and, and take the ele- to, to pick up the elements, but I want you to hold them. And, and I don't want to make you, make you feel uncomfortable, but I... But at the same time, I want to orient your life around the cross of Jesus Christ. And frankly, that's just an uncomfortable place sometimes. So I want you to pick up these elements. And and then I just want you to find a small group of people and uh, just make sure that no one's left out. But just find a small group and, and put your heads together. And before you take those elements, just go around your group and share share one name of someone that you need to forgive. What's the offense that, that you've been holding on to that's been burning in your hand? And, and, and maybe you need to, before you could even share that name, maybe you need to remember the sins that you've been forgiven of. Think about having compassion on that person. But I just want you to share a name. Who's one person that you need to forgive and haven't? Maybe hold their name in your hands and lift it up to heaven. Pray, asking God to take the hell, the torture you've been holding on to away. And when you have forgiven the trespasses of others, when you have shown mercy, then take communion. Then know what it is like to be a part of the kingdom of the heaven. Then know what it is like to be united with Christ Jesus. Are you with me? I know this is awkward and uncomfortable, and some of you, this doesn't come from from your tradition. And like I said, 
my, uh, my objective in this is not to disorient, but to reorient. To fill your lives with the teachings of Jesus Christ. To receive the life, the relief, and the forgiveness of him. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for, for today. And I, and I thank you for this lesson and this teaching because, God, it seems impossible. Even right now, Father God, I know in my heart and my life there are hurts and offenses and things that, that I've just been holding on to. And I, I feel so, so vulnerable thinking about, why do I feel vulnerable thinking about letting go of these things? But Father God, I pray that you would help us to release the debts then that have been committed against us. Let us, like the good king, have mercy, have pity, have compassion on those who have wronged us, on those who have hurt us. And Father God, I know how dangerous this is because I haven't qualified every situation and I can't possibly know every situation. And everyone in, and everyone in here is thinking, well, you don't know what they did. And God, I know, I, 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 I don't know and I can't possibly know how bad it is or how hurtful it is or, or how wrong it is. I just know that you have called us to forgive to love our enemies. And so, Father God, in these moments, as we gather around the table that remembers your son, Jesus Christ, and the incredible sacrifice that he made for us, despite our sin, you sent your son to die for us so that we might live. And so, Father God, help us today to let go of, to release the, the pain, the, the unforgiveness that we've been harbor, harboring in our heart. And let us embrace those around us. Let us live uh, in full dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit in us, moving in us right now, Father God. I know that everyone in here is being compelled by the power of God to forgive. And I pray that your strength would prevail in us Father God, we move into this time because we think this is the example that you have set and your son has set. And even though it seems impossible to us, Father God, we want to be your disciples, your followers. And so, God, we move into this time of forgiveness, into this time of communion. And so we remember your son and his sacrifice. We love you, Father. Help us, help us during this space. And in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says, Amen.